0: One other thing that I um, did mention just before is, which I'm pretty excited about tonight. Just, just tonight, I'm starting a, a eight or a ten week thing. We'll see how long it takes me to get through it. But just on, I guess, who we are as a church. I mentioned a little while ago, just shaping things that moving forward, just to equip our our leaders and volunteers in things. And so. Um, tonight, just starting that whole aspect and, and grabbing some of the things that Pastor Bruce and Joan put in place with, with live streams and working some of the other elements about the great words that have been spoken into a church and, and the great words that um, we, we look to. And so I'm going to be starting that tonight and, and really, really excited. Because what it, what it does, and, and maybe you're new around and, and haven't been around too long and know what exactly we're about. But at the end of that, it's, it's one of these things that's going to help you know what we're about, who we are. And, and know what your place in that is and, and how you can be connected with that and join together in that and, and we can partner together in those things. And I know there's a few of the young guys that are coming towards the end of school and that who I definitely want around as they look at um, being involved in youth and, and children's ministry in the future and, and maybe there's some things that you want to look at in the future and be involved in, I just encourage you to do that. We'll be doing it probably on a Monday night next year. Um, this is my, my, my get-it-together run. And, and make sure it all works and, and and get it in, in the space for it. But I'm, I'm really pumped about it. and just I've been spending time with Jesus this week on it. Really excited on, on that aspect. Anyway, I um, just want to continue this morning talking from the book of Philippians. Uh, we were talking uh, about a month and a half ago. It was probably the last time I spoke on this, and we got through about 10 verses in a month and a half there. And so probably today we'll get through a verse, knowing um, how far we get through in that. But it's one of those books that are just... Just really love because this is a, a book by Paul um, who he gives through Timothy and he's written it with Timothy to a church who are his, his de- just beloved children. He established them with, with, with going out and, and finding someone washing their clothes and Lydia who, who held the church in her house and, and he's longing for them. He, he just he has this great thing where he's praying for them and there's joy and we get this absolute aspect of it's so important to pray for those we love and pray for those who are doing well in Jesus. And it's okay to be joyous when we pray. And, and he, he's longing that Christ would continue to be formed and shaped within them and that while he's being formed and shaped, it's going to go on. And then he gets to this point of, of looking to the end and his desire for them to understand the reward of Christ. In that great day, they stand before him, that Christ is coming with a reward in his hand and, and that he just wants to bless them for what, what it's come and longs that they would live well. And that they would do well. That they live and do well. And then we get to where we are this morning in, in, in verse 12. And Let's see if we can control this there. Here we go. Hey, here we go. Verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill, and the later do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus, that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, Paul uses this term, over and over in his, in his um, letters to refer to the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters, this great term of affection there. And we know that Paul's affection in his heart's for them because he speaks of love and joy of his church that's birthed. And he speaks to them out of a father heart beginning. But there's something that, that obviously has turned in him in his relationship with the Philippians. No longer is he relating necessarily just as, as father. But all of a sudden, it's, it's on that peer level and that, 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 that brother and sister but still, with that deep affection, something shifts in us when we when we grow up a little bit. I, I noticed that um, Susan's sister, Leah, and, and Matt were with us last weekend, and uh, I don't know if you, you noticed their son, Will, who stands about this high and is twelve, and uh, dwarfs. Funny, I just looked at him. I'm like, wow, he, he dwarfs like a lot of our fifteen-year-olds in our youth, and, and he's got this giant of, of a son. That I was noticing Matt's relationship with Will doing that shift and that transition. Well, all of a sudden, he's gone from child, I'm going to tell you and, and, and set boundaries and everything. Where all of a sudden, it's now shifting where they're starting to come alongside each other more and starting to re- relate more. I remember as a teenager when that relationship shifted between me and my mom and, and you start to learn more and, and share more and understand more about finances that it's not just a bottomless pit in their wallet that, that for some reason you can't get your hands on to get your favorite toys. But all of a sudden, oh, wow, there's limits. Oh, we've got to do this with it. And you you learn more about how life works and structure works. But there's still that deep affection that connects, which which doesn't end as you come alongside and, and remains. And almost in the church, in some ways, when we use the word brother and sister, some aspects and elements of the church have taken the affection out of it and gone, brother, sister, in these terms of endearment and reverence and authority and power and rebuke. But that's not Paul's heart. He's not, not setting that up. It's, we're in this together and we are, we're, we're family together under our God and, 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 and with, our, with our God. I, it's always scary when I see a blank sheet. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Let's do this in there. To, don't know if you can read it. A whole bunch of people. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And one of them looking at the guy going, What's wrong with you today? I sinned last night. And so the rest of the brothers and sisters, just you wait till we tell our Father. <laughs> It's something that's a bit silly and I got a smirk from some people I showed it to this morning so I thought one or two might smirk at it. But Thank you for the, um, the off laugh, giving me some grace in that, Chris. That was really kind. But we're all brothers and sisters in this and, and family together and, and it's just that, that one aspect that Paul's heart is in there and it's one of the things with family, it's, you're concerned about them and, and you love them. And brothers and sisters, I remember when we had the big rains that happened a couple of years ago and a few years before that. And every time, um, Susan's family would call us because they've got no idea down in Newcastle where the rains are hitting. They've got no idea where the rivers are swelling. And so we'd get these calls of concern and absolute dire stress about it. Are you all right? Is your house flooding? And we're like, no, no, we're fine. The river's down there. We, we might be on an island in a little bit. And um, Actually, we worked out the other day if, um, if Bub was born a day later, it's one of those, and I've shared with you before, because of the floods and they, the way they rose up and blocked off the hospital, I would have been delivering Bub in the car. And um, that is just not a good idea at all. But, but there's these things where we're concerned about, about family. And, and so Paul writes, brothers and sisters, I want you to know what has happened to me actually served to advance the gospel. He tells them that, that he's in chains and he's in... In a palace and Paul's having a rough time. He's having a bit of a hard time. So it's one of those things when, when you read his heart, all of a sudden you can get a glimpse into the other aspects of the Bible. Because what he's talking about here, um, from our best understanding, we don't know the exact time he's talking about, but it's somewhere between Acts 21 and Acts 28 in that whole aspect there. And so what's happened is, is Paul's come back to Jerusalem. And he's been off doing missionary work. He comes back to Jerusalem, um, with the understanding and desire to just make sure he's, he's on the right track with Christ. And he comes and he tells the, the apostles everything that he's doing, and he tells the, the council of the Christians there everything that he's up to, and rejoicing that, that there's Gentiles that have come to know Jesus and that the church has been established and set up in all these places. And, and James looks at him all worried and goes, Mate, that is so great that that's happening. That's really fantastic. But we're a little bit worried because in this town... The Jews in here are quite zealous, and, we, and they've heard that you're telling people not to go off and get circumcised, which if I was a Gentile, I'd be very grateful for that message. And, um, and he said, well, what you need to do, he's like, yeah, that, that's true, because we've said that. And um, so he said, well, what you need to do is these seven blokes over here, next week, they're going to be doing a whole fast and getting their lives just set with God. So go and, and you pay for them and join in what they're doing. And so Paul goes, yeah, it's a good idea because I follow the law and I'm I'm part of that. And so he goes off and and hangs out in in church for the next next week and shaves his head and pays their way and pays everything. And they're just in in church praying by themselves. And he's he's brought with him um, during this time a whole bunch of tithe and offering to support the church in Jerusalem as it's struggling. And and he's there one day and then probably a few days into that, five or six days into that, and they're just having a nice quiet time. These guys from Asia rock up and and see him there and go, hey, you Paul. That's him. And so they start going around and telling all the, all the Jews about what an awful guy Paul is and how he's stirring up and telling people not to follow the law. And then all of a sudden you have this citywide riot that goes on. And they storm the temple, grab Paul, drag him outside and start beating him up. And eventually the, the guard in the area and the captain in the area, the, the commander of the Roman soldiers hear about this and they go down and they're looking in him and they can rescue Paul and have to lift him up and carry him out of that that place, and they're trying to understand what's going on. They look at him and, and they think that he's actually a terrorist that was leading 400 terrorists a little while ago. They actually think he's the commander of ISIS at this time. That, that's that's going on in the place. Because and, and I mean, you've got to understand this because I'm like, this is just bizarre, stirring up a riot. I remember when I was at school, just bored one lunch hour, trying to understand what what's going on and create some fun. And so me and my mate decide, we're we're just a little bit bored, so we start running around the school just yelling out, fight, fight. And um, apparently you shouldn't do that at school anyway, but we we ran around school yelling out fight for the next 10 minutes and um, gathered this circle of about 200 kids together and, and stood in the middle of it. Everyone's wondering what's going on and we're standing there. Eventually teachers bust in trying to understand what, and there's nothing actually happening, but we had a great old time. And it doesn't take too much to stir up some people sometimes, but... This is, this is pretty hectic because it's just like all of a sudden you're sitting down the, the food court in the hyperdome or as a pastor come from Melbourne just sitting down in the food court in the hyperdome just all around and then all of a sudden someone comes around, stirs up everything. There's the leader of ISIS sitting in the middle of the, the food court and getting the police to storm the place and the whole hyperdome gets shut down out of this because the temple got shut down at this time. So that's the marketplace, the central aspect of the community. I don't get shut down because one person's sitting in there quietly minding their own business. And so that's Paul's. Paul's on it. And so he gets dragged off and stuck in the barracks, and then the commander's like, well, we've got to understand why they get so stirred up about him. And so they take him off down into the Sanhedrin the next day, and they start having a bit of a go at him and talking about him, and he's like, well, what am I here for? All I'm doing is, is preaching Jesus. And then all of a sudden he realizes, hang on, some of the people here ah." Oh, these guys are Pharisees and these are Sadducees. This is a great idea. I'm in trouble today because I've been preaching about the resurrection. And, and because some of the guys on this side believe in the resurrection and these ones don't, they start having to go at each other. It's just like standing down at Tweed Heggs on Wednesday night and going, go Queensland! And all of a sudden, half <laughs> the people go, no! And, and, and start having to go at each other. And, and, or in Caxton Street, go New South Wales. And, see, uh, my, my condolences. To all those who are of, um, south of the border orientation. Um, no, poli- it's, it's not, it's statements of righteousness and, <laughs> and blessing. <laughs> um, I was up to I had this teacher in, in grade 12. I started doing legal studies because I wanted to study the Constitution, and so I um, did maths at home for a little bit and, and studied the Constitution and the legal studies. But my teacher at times was one of those teachers where you could just start talking to him about different things, about fishing about um, his car and all those things. So one, those days where you didn't want to work, you started talking to him about something off, and, and all of a sudden, 40 minutes later, he's ranted on that, and go, oh, bye, sir, have a good day. And, and off you go, and you realise you just wanted a bit of a bludge lesson in that. So I, had one of those t- I don't know if you had those teachers when you were at school, but uh, most of us had one or two of them. we just get them going on about something. Anyway, Paul does that in the midst of this council. And still the commander thinks, oh, nothing's going on, and so he gets held in chains. And, and held in prison, and eventually, um, hanging out there in Jerusalem, he's in the barracks, and they move him, um, move him up to Caesarea, into, into the jail there. Because they're realizing the Jews can't, can't sort this out, and, and Paul's asked to be tried and, and lets them know that a Roman system What's going on before that, actually, that goes on is Paul's nephew hears some of the Jews talking, that they're, they're going to move Paul in the next couple of days. And here's the Jews talking that they're going to set up an ambush. Forty of them have decided they're not going to eat or drink until they kill Paul. They've taken this oath. And you go, these are godly men. These are men that are meant to follow, follow God. And, and they've taken an oath. Like It's bizarre behavior that goes on around this whole thing. And you can just see it's God setting something up through the whole aspect. Anyway, so Paul, um, Paul's nephew finds out about this and comes and tells Paul. And, and Paul grabs the commander of the guard and says, hey, this is what he's telling me. How about you take him up to the captain? Now, that's a, that's a really interesting thing there because here's Paul who's been in jail probably for just a couple of days so far, but already the guard is listening to him responding. well. You've got to think about what God's setting up and what he's doing or how Paul's treating the guards there because they've got to think. They came in thinking this guy was the leader of ISIS. That's not how you're going to treat him as a guard. You're going to go, shut up. I don't want anything to do with you. But they've respected his word and understand. And so I can imagine Paul treating them well. And it just gives us a picture of how Paul's responding in this situation with grace and love and affection. And, and, and probably, he's probably got this little counseling thing set up where the guards are coming and talking about their problems. He's just offering wisdom and, and inspiration and, and direction. Anyway, so that goes off. And they bring 400 soldiers and move Paul that night up to Caesarea. So I don't know what happened. The Bible doesn't tell us anymore about what happened to those 40 men and women. or oh, those 40 men that had made that... Um, proclamation. But if they actually stuck by it, they would have been dead a little while later because obviously it didn't work out. And so in Caesarea, um, he's there and he gets brought before Felix, who's the governor at the time. And, and Felix, he, he, he tells Felix about God and then Felix sends him back to the dungeon and then calls him in and out for a period over the next two years that he's in prison there. And Felix is just waiting for him to open his mouth and just say something. I'm going to give you a pile of money if you let me go. And he doesn't, and then Festus becomes the, um, the ruler after, after Felix and, and comes up and hears about this guy in, in prison, and, say, and the Jews tell him about him, and he comes and hears him and listens, and, says, and then he's going to send him back down to Jerusalem. And Paul doesn't want that because he knows of another assassination attempt that's going to happen. And so he calls on, on Rome, go try me before Caesar. And then Agrippa comes in, and the Bible is funny when Agrippa comes in. It says he comes in with all pomp comes in all pompous. And so you can just see the king marching in, King Agrippa and, and Queen Beatrice, and come in and all the guard are there. And Paul stands up and just shares the kingdom with him and shares the gospel. And Agrippa walks out the back to Felix and goes, if he didn't call on Caesar, we would have let him go today. And it's one of those interesting statements there. And you, I, I remember, I've read that so many times. and go, Paul, why did you do that? You could have been free. You could have been out there. But... For the encounter that happens earlier when he's in prison in Jerusalem, when that first night when an angel of the Lord comes to him and says, you need to preach my gospel here, and you need to preach me in Rome. And so this whole thing's set up. And so when, when he's writing this letter to them, he's writing because they've heard the fact that he's been falsely accused and had to stand trial for things that, he, that weren't true and that they couldn't even bring a defense. This won't last today because they have not brought an accusation against him. They haven't brought a charge against him. He's been in prison two and a half, three years so far. There's no way that would stand in today's legal system. But Paul is here, bound up in chains in some little dungeon. Not, not, he's not gone in there to get three square meals a day and, and get exercise and, and, and like we do and, and, and give them Um, give people a course and some education and some learning within that. No, he's in this little dingy prison, probably rats running around his bed and and, uh, just terrible situation in there. And so they've heard about this and they're worried. And so Paul writes, this is all for the kingdom. This is all to advance the kingdom of God. You know, our hardship... It's loading there, point one, Caleb. Our hardship is Christ's reward. Our hardship is Christ's reward. How do we respond to hard situations? How do we respond when things go wrong? I was standing in the line at Ikea um, the other day. We were just getting some stuff. Ikea's a wonderful place, isn't it? We'll get some stuff for, for Jules' conference and um, having one of those times of reconnecting in Ikea, as you do, which is important for your relationship. And um, we're walking around getting flowers and jars and everything. And then, um, because also on school holidays, parents, it is a wonderful hour-long babysitting service. All the time. A- absolutely wonderful. The kids love it. They just do cannonballs into the ball pit and just drive probably the workers in their nuts. But we get a lovely time together walking around Ikea. And, and so we've just had that and, and got out the other end. And, and Josiah's favorite food in the world is, is hot dogs. And any time you get a hot dog for a that's, dollar, that's just a great thing. So I've, I've lined up to get, get him a hot dog or two hot dogs because he's big. And, and get him a couple of hot dogs. And anyway, I was standing there and there's probably two people in front of me just going through. And then this lady, two, two people behind me, just all of a sudden opens her mouth and just, why is this taking so long? Why? Can't you get more workers in here? Where's the manager right now? And, and just goes on. I look around at her and she's there and it looks like she's with, with her granddaughter. And it's one of those times where you consider, is it worth me opening my mouth and, and trying to inquire what's actually going on in her world? Um, I chose the latter and not open my mouth. Um, I don't know if that was the right thing to do or not, but I, I, some, a lot of me wants to go back to that time and say something right now. But... but <laughs> We're a bunch of whingers and moaners and complainers sometimes. When things go wrong and things get hard, we just sit there and, oh, why, how terrible and how bad this is. And Oh it's just, just not going right. You know, a lot of people actually in the church, we do that. We um, believe that the gospel and salvation is there to save us from hard times. There's a lot of people that believe that the gospel is there for an easy life and no pain and no problems... That's, it's gonna, once you get Jesus, you just cruise through. And um, if you believe that, I encourage you to go read the words of Jesus because he made a few promises. Troubles will come. The world will hate you. In actual fact, it's the most dangerous life you could ever live becoming a Christian because more people in this earth get killed for being a Christian than any other reason. And in actual fact, the, Jesus, one of the other things, it's the most oppositional thing you could ever do because he actually said, well, because of me and because of the gospel, husbands will hate wives and mums will hate children and children will hate their fathers and, and their parents. And Jesus wasn't advocating divorce at that time. Jesus was talking about just the fact that the gospel is such a, such a change in someone's life and that the world that we live in is, is warring against it. The world we live in is warring against it. And so, so this is the situation that, that Paul's in. Because we get surprised sometimes when bad things happen. We get surprised when trouble goes on. And, and why, God? It's all over. It's, oh, Lord, you couldn't have seen this coming, God. I can't, mate, it's all, oh, we're stuffed now. In our nation. I mean, we've got, we've got this situation that's been going on in our nation with a nation that's come from godly Christian values that's uh, turning away from that. Our politics is turning away from it. Our value system's turning away from it. Um, there's big calls because of the last census that. 30% of people wrote no religion, so therefore we should do all these things in it. They forget that 50% of people still wrote that they were Christian in the last census. Um, but that we should get rid of prayer, and there's all these things going on in our nation. Oh no, we're turning away from God. And there's a whole whole aspect where we can operate in fear. Oh no, it's, it's all over. And, and oh, just, I can tell you this, God's not shocked about it. He's not surprised at what's going on, and he's, he's in no way worried about it. Because like Paul, he understands that hardship is Christ's reward. That hardship is God's reward. That it will actually serve to advance the kingdom. Light shines brightest in the darkness. Light shines brightest in the darkness. It will serve to advance the kingdom. Paul said, brothers and sisters, I want you to be aware because what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Paul believed that God would work it out. He believed that God would sort out his situation and that he would actually use it for the benefit of the kingdom. He he believed that things wouldn't get the better of him. Imagine if he did. He would have responded a lot differently in prison there. He wouldn't have been a friend to the guards and and been a confidant to them. He wouldn't have gotten on their good graces. He wouldn't have just stood up trying to stir something in the Sanhedrin. He would have probably tried to call on God to escape instead of sitting there worshipping and believe in God and going, oh, I've got to preach you here. And in, in Rome, he would have responded different. But he has this response which lines up with his teaching in Romans. And in Romans 8, I might need you there, Caleb. Romans 8.18, there we go. I consider, woo, hello. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And then 10 verses later, he goes on, because we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You know, Paul believed this. He lived it out. He lived so much out that God was on his side and, and, and God would sort it out. Sufferings are now, but glory awaits. He was absolutely convinced That he was not going to be defeated. You know, the King James in this one says that all things work for the good. But the NIV turns it around and says, God works. God works for your good. You know, when hard times come, God's at work on your behalf, He's working for you, He's not passive. He's not sitting down bludging in front of Netflix when you go through a hard time. God is on the case. He's on the scene. He's got it. He's gone. I'm going to work this out for the good. What good? Because of the purposes of God and because of of the call that's on your life. I'm going to bring something amazing out of it. In actual fact, it's one of those things when we can sit there and bad things happen and trials and hardships happen. We can rejoice in it because good's coming. Something good is going to come out of that time. Our response—we're not fatalistic, sitting there. Well, oh, I'm going to go find something bad to happen. Oh, I need something real. Like, oh, where's a tree? I'm going to run my car into. Oh, well, I'm going to—I'm going to leave my doors open. I'm just said, no, it's for the kingdom. The gospel was advanced. He is going to use them. He's not the author of bad things. He's going to use it. The gospel is advanced. Um, about a year ago, we had this time where I got home from church one Sunday morning and and walked in the house and and go through and then all of a sudden we realized a few things weren't where we left them and that a few cupboards were open and upon a bit more investigation, our drawers had been open and the iPads had been stolen and a bit of cash and a camera and a few things like that and it was one of those times where you go through a rough thing and I remember sorting it out because they they were smart enough to steal the iPads and then they were flat and plugged them in which meant the tracking software came online. And so five hours later, the police had found everything. Um, <laughs> praise God in the whole situation with that. But I remember I came down in the afternoon and, and just walked in. I was just chatting to Lisa. She's getting ready for worship. She like, what's going on? How are you doing? And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I had my house broken in. And, so and she said, like, what? And we're just chatting about it all. And it was one of those times where I knew God was up to something. God's just doing something. If we're, we're going to have to get distracted by this and, and attacked by this, God was up. And, and Lisa looked at me, I don't know if you remember saying this, but you're, like, you're the only person I know that'll be smiling after having your, having your house broken into, but I just knew God would bring good, and, and this week, this week, I get to sit down with the young lad that, um, that was there and broke in our house, and you know, they caught him, he's gone through a few things, but I get to sit down with him this week. I'm just looking forward to that time of looking across the table and going, mate, you have value. You have so much more value than, than, than what's going on. I don't care what the Justice Department thinks that the whole meeting's about. My meeting is about looking at a young man who obviously doesn't have a sense of value. I'm just looking into go, oh, you're worthwhile and you're valuable. And, then, um, and, and I, I just love that the gospel can be advanced in something that's... I don't know how he's going to respond to that. I, I, but uh, my chains are for Christ, Paul says. My chains are for Christ because he knows this. God is our vindicator. God's the one that vindicates us. He's the one that's there. I I jokingly um, tell people that this is my favorite verse in the Bible. Vengeance is mine. And um, it's one of those things that that, that we wish sometimes we could take verses completely out of context and and use them for our own well-being. And we live in a world that's... Essentially, people think vengeance is mine. If you want to read the whole verse, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. <laughs> There's a little bit that goes on the end of that uh, with, within there, but, but Paul knows. so He doesn't fight for his own cause. He knows that God is the one that's going to justify God's the one that's going to deliver him at the end. God's the one that's going to bring him out of this. I read to you Romans 12 where he, where he shares his heart on this. Don't take revenge, my dear friends. Leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will be heaping burning coals on his head. Now, that's not the motivation Paul's talking out there. He's just laying a reality that we're a people who respond to hate with love. We're a people that respond to hate with love. And that has consequences for someone else. That has consequences in their world, but it has consequences for us because it gives us a position where God can fight for us and God can be on our side. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Become evil with good. I just want to do one more, one more quick point because this is something that, that's amazing in Paul's journey here and what he talks about. Your response to the hardship in your life can actually either inspire or destroy faith. How you respond to what's going on in your life can either inspire or destroy faith. Paul is here in a situation, the leader of, of a whole bunch of the, of the Eastern church. Realistically, they all look to him as, as father and they all look to him as the one that's established them in the faith. Here he is put in prison and in chains. And if he responds in such a way that doesn't believe that God's his vindicator and his vengeance, the whole thing shuts down. All of a sudden, they get scared. Well, if they can catch him, they can catch me. If they can stop him, well, <laughs> there's definitely nothing I can do. But they see the way he acts and they see what's actually happening. And as a result, there's people getting saved. There's people coming to Jesus and there's people, there's centurions and guards that are, that are longing for the Lord. There's the, the governor's actually listening to the word of God and bringing him before him to share the word. And as a result of that, Paul says that everyone, not everyone, most of the brothers and sisters here are starting to preach God with boldness. They're starting to actually preach greater because I'm in chains and I've, I've been put in chains here and they're seeing the result of the kingdom of God advance here. I had a mate who um, went through a real rough time in his church. They, they had a whole slew of the finance. They just had this big income each year coming in, and then that just stopped. And as a result of that, they had to lay off some staff and, and send some staff. Praise God, they were able to get some staff at other churches as they were looking for positions and filling them up. But because of that, his name became Mud in the, in the city, and, and um, the churches in the city abandoned him and, and just sort of left him out to dry and thought he was terrible and, and a complete just no-faith and just giving him no faith. He just doesn't have it with God. And I remember going there and meeting with him, with a couple of other people. I don't think I've ever been so inspired in my life. I was just absolutely amazed. In this, time, this guy's deepest, darkest hour, he had set up with his senior leaders not to take a wage for two years and was just believing in God for their provision and just running with what was in hand. And uh, tell you what, he'd been kicked in so many ways, I couldn't, couldn't pronounce it. I was going there with the hope of inspiring and giving him some hope and, and faith. I came away more inspired to preach with boldness than I ever had in, in, in my past. And there's something about that. How we respond to hardship and how we respond to difficult times. I mentioned there that the whole story that Paul's talking about culminates in, in the book of Acts. And so the story goes on, and, and um, he leaves. He gets sent to Rome, and there's a whole bunch of shipwrecks and everything else that happened on that point. So he's been in jail about three years, has another six month to one year journey to Rome through shipwrecks and hardship. And then he's in Rome, and, and something changes. So all of a sudden, he's able to be in under house arrest. He rents his own house out. And two years later, we get the last couple of verses in Acts. And our um, worship team, come. We'll just end on this. One. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house. This guy is in prison. He's a prisoner. And they're letting him rent his own house out. He's called upon Caesar, the highest court in the land. And he welcomed all who came to him. And he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Ah, that is a wonderful way for the book of Acts to end. What a hope. Within there, in the deepest hardship of his life, he's looked to God, placed his faith in Him, and he's just able to do the thing he loves the most. And he's able to advance the kingdom within there. You think he'd go through a rough time? He's at least five years into a prison sentence for which he did nothing for because he sat in church and prayed. In dungeons, rat infested, and this is the response that he has. I don't know about you. I get a bit humbled when I read that. You know, this morning, just as we um, just come to God and place ourselves on Him, I just, I just encourage you, just as we worship now. I don't know what you're running through. I don't know what your life's running right now, or what the difficult times, or the troubles, or the hardships are. And I can guarantee this: they're significant. They're definitely significant. They're hard. They're rough. But what the enemy has meant for your evil, God will use for his good. God will use for his good and he will use it to advance the kingdom and he will use it for his purposes this morning. And so as we just worship now, I just encourage you to lay that at the cross again and, and just give it over and, and let God be your vindicator and let God be the one that fights on your behalf. Let God be the justifier and, and just ask him, Lord, how can you work your good in your kingdom? Lord, work your good in your kingdom in this situation. If you want someone to believe with you and pray with you, if you grab someone around you or make your way out the front, we'll believe with you this morning. Because I just believe so much that God wants to use our hardships for his glory. He wants to use our troubles for his goodness. He wants to use our, our just, just those devastating times to advance his kingdom. Father, we just lay ourselves at your hand again. And Lord, we're a people and... Um, Lord, it's a hard thing to hear you say that there's going to be trouble in your life and that people will hate you because of me. Well, that's, that's not an easy thing to hear because, Lord, well, we want to be happy. And yet we can look at Paul and we see, Lord, in the midst of, of trial and beatings and, and boilings and all sorts of hardship there and living with rats, and, Lord, he rejoices and your kingdom is advanced. And so in our lives, in our situations, Lord, Lord, we ask that that your kingdom would be advanced. Lord, we ask that you would deliver us from these tough times. But Lord, that you would be the one that delivers us. You would be the one that takes us out, Lord, and that you would be vindicated and that you would be uplifted and that your kingdom would advance and that your gospel would be preached and that others through us would be inspired by our response, Lord, and that hope would be brought into lives, Father, because we just want you. We want you. You are our reward, Lord, and you're also our redemption. And so we just place ourselves in your hand this morning. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name, amen. We'll just stand and let's just worship. And if in that you just need someone to pray with you and believe with you this morning, we're just available today.